I don't know if you, uh, being in school back in the day when reading the book Mutiny on the Bounty or, you know, whatever. So we're going to go back in time to uh, the spring of 1789. That's before your time and my time. There's no debate about that, right? That's right. That's right. And there were a group of uh, mutinous sailors that settled on a tiny dot um, 4,000 miles east of New Zealand in the South Pacific. And uh, they were angered by the harsh rule of Captain Bly. They thought he was too tough. He wasn't a nice dude. And so uh, they put he and his 18 loyalist followers on a boat and said goodbye. And uh, I think these mutineers probably thought this dude's never going to survive. Well, he did. He did survive. Made it back to safety and eventually testified against the crew um, on the HMS Bounty. And uh, you've seen some photos of what that ship looked like. So the question is, what about the mutineers, man? Whatever happened to them? Um, they actually settled on the island of uh, Pitcairn. They, uh, the men took uh, Tahitian wives, recruited Tahitian workers to kind of build this society on this small island. They had every opportunity to build uh, a stable culture, for sure. But instead... Uh, these men drifted into violence and drunkenness over time. Anarchy ruled the day. It was not a good place to live. What could have been a, a nice place to reside, you know, hope for the next day, uh, instead it turned into oh, a mess. Within 10 years... They were dead from disease and attacks, and only one mutineer actually survived, and his name was Alexander Smith. And so Alexander Smith had a decision to make. He could, he could crumble under the weight of the hate and violence that had crept on this island, or he could have make a decision that, hey, there's hope out there somewhere. I'm going to go look for it. Well... He's on this two-square-mile island, and, and he had a Bible, and he started reading the Bible. And over time, this is what he said. When I came to the life of Jesus, my heart began to open like doors swinging apart. Once I was sure God was a loving and merciful Father, uh, I repented, and it seemed... I could feel his very presence, and I grew more sure every day of his guiding hand. And so Smith, after reading the Bible and seeing the life change in himself, he, he kind of took the leadership on the island and said, hey guys, we can, we can either live in the past with the, the, the hatred, the violence, or we can turn a corner, put our hope in Jesus Christ and so uh, they decided, we're going to follow the Bible's teaching. We're going to follow what Jesus has to say and how we should live our lives. And so when the British Navy finally showed up on the island in 1808, they were really stunned by the order and decency of everybody inhabiting that island. That island had been transformed by the hope of Jesus Christ. 
It's pretty cool. And so when you look at Smith's life, he was ultimately pardoned. And uh, Pitcairn became known as an island that honored God. And uh, how cool is that in a culture that we're living in? A place that was evil, destructive, full of hate, flipped when it allowed Jesus Christ to rule and reign. And he can do that in your life, friend, as well. When you look at Alexander Smith's life, where he started and where he ended up, uh, that's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And so um, this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46 and 52. You have your outline, and you can see it on the screen. We're going to start in verse 46. Track with me. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if you want to track the Bible here, it says he began to shout. So, so when you read that, it's not... It's not a whisper. He doesn't send out a memo to Jesus. I'm over here. You know, no, he shouted. He was all in. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, those that were following Jesus, they were all in on that. They figured here, here's a great opportunity. (laughs) We're following Christ. We know he wants to change lives. What do they do? They shouted at him, be quiet. Listen now, this is dangerous ground because many in the church today, church in America, we become so comfortable in our church, we don't want any changes. We don't want God to do anything in other people's lives because we have our holy huddle, right? Right? And we don't want God to mess it up or even somebody else that comes in. So so they said, be quiet. Many of the people yell at him. But what did that do? Did that intimidate Bartimaeus? Absolutely not. He shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. I think that's a good place to be, uh, 2024, to say, Lord, will you have mercy on me. In other words, I don't have it all together. And I need you. And I need more of you. And because of that, Lord, will you have mercy on me? Um, I think as men, that's a great place to land even with your family, uh, to pray over your family. Lord, will you have mercy on our family? And break it down. Because we know each family member is going through unique situations, things that maybe we don't fully understand, but they need the mercy of the Lord. And so, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And may it explode in our hearts today. We thank you for what you did in Bartimaeus. May you do it in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Hope is a wonderful gift from God, a source of strength and courage in the face of life's harshest trials. 
we kind of hit this last Sunday talking about hope and, and actually it was brought up again uh, Wednesday night at Transformed. Uh, if you've lost hope, we, we had the image of uh, the, the moving truck backing up to your garage and movers coming into your home and packing up hope and driving off with it and leaving you hopeless. And that's happening all across our world today. But as we see uh, with the Pitcairn Island, with uh, Alexander Smith, and uh, we see it over and over again that hope can be resurrected if it's been taken from you. And our prayer for 2024, if you've been struggling in a hopeless situation or your hope levels kind of dipped, you know, (laughs) over time, that God's word will breathe new life into you. So... Chuck continues, he said, hope is when we're trapped in a tunnel of misery, and hope points to the light at the end. When you're discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When you're tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we lose our way and confusion blurs the destination, hope dulls the edge of panic. I like that. There's a lot of people in panic mode right now. You know, the ground under our feet is being shaken. It's not time to panic. It's time to rest in the Lord, to abide in him. And when we fear the worst, hope brings reminders that God is still in control. That's what I like. Don't you? God is in control. And so um, when life hurts and dreams fade, there's nothing like hope to breathe life back into it. A couple days ago, I was reading in Psalm 13, and it was, I had a flashback to it because there was a time in my life decades ago when I uh, was really feeling hopeless. I was tanked, my tank was empty. Um, I was blaming God, feeling sorry for myself. When I read this psalm, it was kind of my theme chapter of life where it says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? That's where I was, you know? And I had the violin out, and I was playing it real loud. Feeling sorry for myself. Forever, how long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? So you you can kind of go down that road, can't you? Maybe you're here today and you've been doing the same thing. You say, yeah, I can identify with Psalm 13. So how long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die but I like where the David ends up here. Pours his heart out, very transparent. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. That's a statement of faith. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday, whenever you come to church, man, and we have times of praise and worship, and we lift up our hands before the Lord. What are we saying? Lord, I will rejoice because you've rescued me. I was in the the community of darkness. Man, I was in Satan's rule and reign, and I put my faith in you, and you transferred me into your kingdom of light. So he rescued me. He rescued you. And I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. That's why we do it. Very simple. So um, also 
I've read Matthew 12 recently, 21, and it kind of jumped out, encouraged me where it said, and his, Jesus, that's who, his name, Jesus' name will be the hope of all the world. I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Your name is the hope of the world. And then we talked about you version, the number one uh, sight request for hope. And the verse, number one verse was Isaiah 41.10, Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I'm glad for that. Jesus is not in, well, I have a defeated hand, so I'm going to try and hold you up. No, my victorious right hand. That's what he's going to do. So, this, uh, the context of, of Mark 10, 46 through 52, Jesus, if you, if you read the entire chapter, you'll realize Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And Jericho's in the way. And, and so, uh, Jesus is moving quickly towards the cross. He knows exactly what his future holds. That's mission on earth. The reason why he came as a baby was to ultimately go to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. He was fully aware of it. And so when he finally reaches Jerusalem, and you can read that in, in Mark 11, uh, you'll see the first Palm Sunday, the, uh, the triumphal entry through Jerusalem when everybody was Yay! Yay! Jesus! <laughs> yeah, they were all fired up. But within a week, they were all saying, crucify him. It's like on the tail end of John 2, you know, Jesus basically says he doesn't put his trust in people because he knows how fickle they are. I don't want to be fickle, do you? No. You know, you get blown with the wind, you know, the current. No, no. Jesus knows how people are, and he saw it right here in Jerusalem on that first triumphal entry. So, even though he's heading to Jerusalem, knowing that in a few, you know, within a week or so, he's going to be crucified, he still is sensitive to a dude sitting on the side of the road. And we'll talk more about Bartimaeus in a moment. But it's so easy to become consumed with our problems and our issues that we're dealing with that we stop being sensitive to the people that God brings into our life. We have to be careful. And we see that Jesus had time and compassion for Bartimaeus, even though he was on his way to be crucified. He had time. I think it's a good place to hit the pause button and say, Lord, will you help me? Will you help me be sensitive like that? So number one in your notes, Jesus on the movers, 46a. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town. So you have to imagine on, on the road, on the road, they come to the front door to Jericho, the entry gates, and they're marching through Jericho, and Jesus is kind of building a crowd. You know, people hear him. We don't know how long he was in Jericho, 
Didn't know if he stopped off at a coffee shop, you know, and just kind of hung out with the people for a while. Um, started teaching on the street corners, whatever the case may be. But we do see that a crowd started following him from the time he came in to the time he's going out. And these, peop- these people are, are fired up. Check it out on your map. Um, yeah. Here, here is a map. Here's Jericho right here. They should have made this map bigger <laughs> for me. Thank you, thank you. Here's Jericho, and here's Jerusalem. 18 miles, boom. 18 miles to Jerusalem. It's about a four-day walk. Um, when, you know, when you're, you're not in a marathon, I know they have 26.2 marathons, miles. I don't run those. I usually drive that distance, don't you? Yeah. 18 miles, you know where 18 miles, we'll leave church today and we'll go west. And the first exit to Dodgeville, that's about 18 miles right there. So you could do it after church and check it out. That's how far Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem coming out of Jericho. So 18 miles and I have to just, this has kind of been in my head a little bit. That's what happens when you read the Bible. You know, things kind of pop out. And I read Matthew 8, 34. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. This is after Jesus had healed the demoniac, set him free. And the demons went into the pigs and they all dove into the water and drowned. I don't know about you, but I would have thought, man, Jesus, this is amazing. This demoniac who's been out of control, destroying the peace in our community. And they say, will you, will you leave? They begged him. That word begged? Begged him to go away and leave them alone. That lands where we kind of spoke on the front end that Jesus gives you and I the freedom to open the door to him or close the door to him. And these, this community said, get out of here. Pack your suitcase and leave. We don't want you around here. They felt uncomfortable. They were more comfortable having a demoniac hanging around their town, destroying their town, than having this man fully sane and liberated from demonic powers. It made them nervous. And you'll see that at times when a family member puts their faith in Christ and maybe they were messed up to the max and they experience a transformed life by the power of Jesus Christ and it makes them nervous, the rest of the family, because they realize, whew, I never thought that dude could change. But he's changed. Which means I can change. But do I want to? It makes people nervous. And that's what was going on here. And 
And then the flip side, John 440, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Isn't that cool? This was a Samaritan woman, and Jesus told her everything about her life. And then he was there long enough to minister to the rest of the community. And they were so fired up. They saw the life change in that community. They said, will you stay, Jesus, will you stay? And so for you and I, we can, we can say, Lord, on the front end of, of 2024, Lord, will you stay? I will, I will create an environment for you to stay. Move in all your furniture. Stay. Right? So I, I do appreciate um, Jesus. Evidently, there's no communication, you know, in Jericho about him staying. He's walking through, heading towards Jerusalem. And um, how do we create that environment to stay? Um, front end of a New Year resolutions, New Year resolutions, they come and go. They blow up right away. Uh, Daryl Dash, I like the way he looks. I'm not into resolutions. I, I don't like them. And I'll tell you why, because Daryl echoes what, what I think. We tend to focus a lot on goals and resolutions this time of year. That's okay. But I prefer to go back and shore up simple key habits instead. In the end, small, consistent habits matter a lot more than lofty goals and resolutions that we quickly forget. Feel free to set ambitious goals, but it may be more valuable to return to the basics. Read scripture, develop your prayer life, plug into the church, rest, move, not as glamorous, but in the end, maybe more effective. Is that good? Yeah, that's good, man. And David Mathis basically echoes that. He says, your perseverance under God is in your habits. So, You've heard me. How do you how do you finish strong? You finish strong by living one day at a time. The habits, the the routine of spending time in God's presence and reading His Word. It's a routine. It's a rhythm of life. Being in church is a rhythm of life. It's a habit. Heaven and hell hang on habits. Show me a man's habits, and I'll give give me a glimpse. You'll give me a glimpse into his very soul. The habits you develop and sustain today will affect whether you persevere to the end or make shipwreck of your faith. Simply put, your habits are one of the most important things about you. Is that good? Yeah, man, come on. Is that good? That's good, man. That's good. Help me, Lord, to establish good habits for you, for your honor and your glory. What is number one? Jesus is on the move. Is he on the move in your life? I took my wife shopping. I don't go shopping. She goes shopping. I just take her. (laughs) And you see the old Navy deal. She likes Old Navy. 
And so I was camping out in Old Navy, you know. And I, I remember looking up into the rafters thinking, God, I need you. No, I mean in a good way. In a good way. I wasn't bored or anything. I was just, I really, I had, I had a sense there that I needed God in my life. And so I'm just talking to him. I'm all by myself, man. You know, there's mannequins nearby, but they don't talk. <laughs> God, I need you. I need you so much. And another dude comes over. And his wife's shopping, and he's taking her shopping. We're like-minded. He's older than me. And, um, and so we just start talking about life. And, you know, we initially talk about our wives. They like shopping, you know, small talk. And we start talking about our country, uh, the struggles that we have as a nation, how God has been displaced in our nation. And um, and then I was able to tell him, you know what? I was just here. I would, before you came, I was just thinking about the Lord, how much I need him. And you know, our country needs the Lord. And we've seen the, we've seen the, the ripple effect in our culture when you take out of, out of, out of the nation what replaces it. And it's not good, right? Not good. And then, and then he started opening up um, about his own life. He said, I'm, you know, I have some, our children, and I think I failed as a father. And we started talking about spiritual things, and I talked about the Lord and putting my trust in him. And, and um, I told him how, when our family comes together, how we pray and um, just a time to honor God. And I said, the next time your family comes together, you can do that. You can do that. It's not, you still have time. Because he was telling me all these situations in his family where he felt that he had not been the best dad. And so... Over the course of that conversation, I was able to present the gospel to him. You know, it's not religion. It's putting your trust in Jesus. And I was thinking, God, you are on the move. You're on the move. And it's so cool. Like Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is on the move. And if we allow him, he can bring that life change. And I, just to kind of keep it in perspective, I saw in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, on Amsterdam, the red light district. In Amsterdam, there's a a group of followers of Jesus out there worshiping for a long time. It wasn't just, we're going to sing one song and leave. We're going to camp out here, and we're going to lift up the name of Jesus. In Amsterdam! God is on the move. And 
And I saw in Paris, France, there's a huge church in Paris, France that's exploding right now. Multi-ethnic, man. People are coming to Christ in Paris, France. The gospel is going out. And I, I could go on and on, man, all around the world. God is breaking through and doing incredible things. And here we see in Mark 10, there's a large crowd following Jesus. Check this out. Check this large crowd. Is there another large crowd? No, there's an, yeah, there's another large crowd. Yeah. The Lord, what's his will for you in 2024? His will for you is that he will be on the move and have permission by you to move in your life. That's his will. You want to know what God's will for your life is? God's will is for he, he himself to have the freedom and liberty to walk through your life at will. That's what he wants. Pastor Craig Barnes puts it this way. One of the most frustrating things about Jesus is that he won't settle down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, is, do we have a slide on that? No. Oh. It says here, it, I do have a slide there. One of the most frustrating things about Jesus is that he just won't settle down. He is constantly moving us away from the places where we would prefer to stay. Isn't that good? And moving us closer to where we do not want to go. See, sometimes we get so comfortable in our sin that we don't want to leave it behind. And so I submit this question to you. What are you hauling with you in 2024 that held you in 2023? What U-Haul are you hauling into 2024 that you should have left behind? That's crippling you spiritually. What, what, what have you automatically just crossed over into this new year? This is the way I live my life here. I'm going to keep living it this way. Hasn't there been any movement by God's Spirit in your life to, to convict, to challenge you, to let that go so more of God can take over? Um, Monday night we, we had the theme of repentance for Transformed and Janine Braben, who experienced uh, at Asbury University in Kentucky back in 1970 when they had a spiritual renewal take off there. And she was there for the most recent one last year. She said, you cannot be in the holy presence of God and not have sin exposed in your life. You cannot be in the holy presence of God and not have sin exposed in your life. And you can't stand in the presence of God and not confess it. Friend, I think that's why 
some people feel uncomfortable being in God's presence because He wants to convict to make us more like Him. God is on the move. He is moving. Is He moving in your life? Number two, a desperate man, verse 46b, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus had been sitting on the sidelines of life for a long time. Um, How often had Bartimaeus been camping out on the side of the road? We can speculate. For example, you take 365 days of the year, you subtract 52 Sabbaths off of that times, let's just say, 20 years. Bartimaeus would have gone out parking on the side of the road for 6,260 times. Would that make you hopeless? Would you be discouraged? But today, something something was different about all the other days Jesus was passing by. And it's possible that out of habit that Bartimaeus would be yelling, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Really, Bartimaeus didn't have a lot going for him. It didn't seem like hope was on the horizon to break this cycle that he had been in for a long time. And he would remain on life's disabled list indefinitely. That's where people made the assumption. You know, being blind, you had to beg to survive. You had to beg. Those blind, you know... Where Jericho, by the way, was a wealthy city, and and Bartimaeus was there on purpose to really have the compassion from these people, to feel sorry for him, to give him the finances needed to survive for another day. It was day by day, one day at a time, for him. Really, that's where a lot of wounded people, disabled people would line up outside the city gate of Jericho. Philip Yancey wrote, Human beings do not readily admit desperation. When they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. There is something about recognizing that we are desperate people. You know? We're desperate. Um, and for, for Bartimaeus, he was desperate because there's no social security, there's, uh, there's no welfare system for him. He, he, he's all on his own. Begging was the only option. It's the only thing he knew. And so you would say that Bart's future looked hopeless. Life was the same day after day after day. And this day started out like every other day. And he arrived at the gate and settled in. But here's the trick. Not, this is, 
tipping point was in verse 47. He heard, he heard. What does he hear? He heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby and began to shout. Say that? He heard Jesus of Nazareth was nearby. That set up something on the inside of him. There was an awakening. This hopelessness, this weight of despair. Jesus, that name that's above every name. He was nearby. Could it be? Could it be? He started thinking, could it be? That hope would come once again. Once again, you look at this large crowd that was following Jesus. It's very possible that that somewhere along the line with that crowd that somebody said, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who heals the lame, the lepers, the blind, he's passing by. Ooh, that resonated with Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus might have heard a first-person testimony over time, you know? I, I used to sit here on the sidelines, but Jesus, I, I bumped into Jesus over here, and, and he healed me. And so Bartimaeus seemed to have an awareness of who Jesus was. He wasn't just a a prophet, a a smart guy. He was the Son of God to make a difference. And um, uh, his heart began to pound. Your heart ever pound so much where you could see it jumping through your shirt? Huh? There was a day in my life where it did, and it wasn't for good things. I was a nervous wreck giving a speech in my second year in high school. And it so distracted me. I couldn't concentrate on my speech. And I was terrible. It was pathetic. Just say it was terrible. We'll call it the end of the day there. But with Bartimaeus, his, his heart began to pound. Like Jesus is coming by. Look, verse 47. And thereby he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That word shout means to cry out, man, to cry out. I'm desperate. I can't stay the same. I, I, I need change in my life, Lord. When was the last time you shouted at Jesus like that? Lord, I need life change. I need an awakening. I'm desperate for you. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. We need that. He could have just, you know, settled in, no, this is the way I always will be. I'll never have any life change. This is, you know, my, my deal for life. And just remain quiet because the crowd told him to. But no, he, he was desperate. Lee Grady talks about roadblocks to your spiritual growth. He says... There are six roadblocks maybe you can identify. Lack of spiritual hunger, let's face it, the main reason many Christians get stuck in a rut is they're happy to be there. They're in a rut. Two, plain old laziness. Many of us become motivated in the beginning of the year to pray, study the Bible, go back to school or lose weight, but nobody wins a race by sprinting the first 50 feet and then sitting down. Winners must stay in the game. 
Three, unpacked luggage. The Israelites left Egypt, could have marched into the promised land in a matter of weeks, but they ended up in a holding pattern for 40 years. Why? Why? They were dragging their sin behind them. The more weight you drag behind you, the less likely it is that you'll reach your destination. Four, fear of change. Many people feel a tug in their hearts that says, start the Bible study. But they never get past the step one because they feel frozen in their tracks. Nothing will keep you in spiritual limbo like fear. Five, shallow relationships. Who are you hanging around with? Some people don't want God's presence. Be willing to find new friends who will support your spiritual commitment. Number six, the religious spirit. Religious people build memorials to honor God, what God did in 1967. And they camp out there. Don't let religious inflexibility keep you from experiencing the adventure of following God's spirit. Desperation. Bartimaeus began to shout. Somebody was able to communicate with Helen Keller years ago. She got sick when she was 19 months old, and the doctor gave some bad counsel, and she ended up going deaf and blind because of it. And Somebody just kind of thought, you know, Helen, you should really be bitter at life and God. Isn't it terrible to be blind? And she responded, better to be blind to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Friends, it's so easy to do. We don't see how far we've drifted from God, our need for God, our desperation for God. And may God's spirit begin to break through our spiritual blindness to make us aware of how desperate we need to be. Bartimaeus was desperate. It's a good place to be for 2024. Father, we thank you this morning that we can keep our eyes on you, that we don't have to settle in to the way we lived in 2023. This is the way I've always lived. But Lord, I pray that you will have the opportunity to tap us on the shoulder, to speak during a song, to talk to us, as we read your word. Lord, you are moving. And we're grateful for that. So, so today, we already realize that half of January of 2024 is gone, going to be gone, and how quick time passes. And Lord, will you help us not procrastinate another day to put it off? But will you help us, Lord, to realize how desperate we are for you? 
and allow you to work in our lives so that we can be more like you, Jesus. That's our desire. And maybe you're here this morning and you can identify with Alexander Smith, a mutineer, a dude far from God. And yet when he started reading the Bible, Jesus made himself known and he put his faith in Jesus and radically changed his life. That could be you today. Jesus, I put my trust in you. You went to the cross. You paid for my sin debt. Forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting you totally today, Lord, to become my spiritual leader. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, I will live for you the rest of my life. So thank you, Jesus, for becoming the Savior of my life. So thank you, Lord, that you're moving here and now. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.